me read a verse that I think is uh, appropriate to the week uh, as we think about what we've been given in Christ. This is from Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. It says, May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And you know, sometimes we're, we're tempted to dwell on, on the temporal blessings and um, we kind of judge our, our lives based on how things are going with our health or our finances or our relationships. But you know, God has given us something that transcends all those things. And, and if you belong to Jesus, if you're part of God's family, just listen to those words again, that the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. And how awesome it is to be delivered from, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And, and nothing can ever change that or take it away. So let's just think about that as we sing this, this next song together. I just want to uh, extend a welcome to you. If you happen to be here as a guest, this is your first time at Creekside, uh, there's a little extra flap on the bulletin if you, it's perforated. So if you would take the time to fill that out and then tear it off, and then when the uh, pouches go by later as we take up an offering, as our guest, that's all we'd ask you to put in the offering. That's not just for those who are guests, though, if you're a regular part of our Creekside family and you're interested in how can I get involved, how can I get connected, is there something I can do, I have a prayer request or something like that, please fill it out and put it in there. I will assure you, some people sign it and they say confidential, and so then those are things that come to me and I, I pray for them or our elders will pray for them. So I just want to let you know that. We're just glad that you're here. I'm excited about wrapping up our series on... God's design uh, for uh, sexuality, marriage, and singleness, and all these things. I'm also looking forward to our new series that's coming up as we get into the Advent calendar. We're going to start a new series starting on the 8th of December next, uh, next week. Uh, we're going to have a kind of a transition uh, sermon, so we're excited about that. Just uh, want to welcome you this morning and ask you would, if you would join me as we uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Father, What precious promises we've been able to meditate upon this morning as we've been singing that we do not walk alone. Those of us who are children of God who through faith in Christ have been brought into the kingdom and transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved son. Uh, We are blessed uh, to have the presence of the spirit of God walking with us. working in us and through us. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would work powerfully uh, through the Word of God so that we might be transformed and some of us might maybe even be introduced into a relationship with the living God through faith in His Son. But use your Word to change us for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In 2017, the the, the census information revealed that of the adults in the United States over the age of 18, 45.2% are single. 45.2%. It's the highest percentage ever, I think, in the recorded history. What's interesting is that in the church and in the culture, we have this explosion of single people. Now, when I say single people, that means single, single again. Uh, you know, they, they, they were married, and now they're single again, uh, or they've never been married. So, you know, there's a lot of different, or they've been widowed or, widow, or a widow or a widower. And so there's a lot of ways you can get into that box. But what's fascinating to me is that if you look at the thing, I guess I shouldn't say fascinating, but it's uh, of, of curiosity, I mean, is the disproportionate number of singles in the church. 45.2% in the population, but 23% in the church. It's almost half as many. So what's going on there? 
Then you think about the, the dis, so that's a disproportionate number of singles in the church. But then I think about the, the disconnect. I've done some reading and a little bit of stuff on uh, singles and singlehood. There's a reason there's a rise in people being single. And a lot of those singles are presumably quite happy being single. And that is because they, at least in part, is because for singleness in the world, and there's this disconnect between singleness in the world and singleness in the church. The singles in the world, they find satisfaction because uh, intimacy and uh, sexual intimacy and that kind of stuff is not a problem for them because they're, they're active. You know, they, they, they find it. But it's quite of a frustration for those who are trying to live for Jesus Christ and, and as singles because perhaps they have desires, but they can't satisfy those desires in a legitimate, biblically appropriate way. So that's, that's a frustration. Then you have the, the singles in the world. They're finding satisfaction because they just do what they want. It's cool. I can do what I want, be where I want to go, do what I want to do. I don't have any ties down. I don't have any permanent commitments. I'm just kind of footloose and fancy free. Well, for a believer in the church of Jesus Christ, it's not, it's not about living for yourself. It's about living for the Lord. And so you don't have that pseudo-satisfaction of just kind of doing whatever you want to do. Then I think about the church, the dominance of the teaching, preaching, admonition and encouragement in the church of Jesus Christ is geared towards whom? Married people. I did a little Google search on uh, christianbooks.com and I typed in, uh, the title was Singleness in Books. How many, how many books do you think there are uh, titles in the christianbooks.com on singleness or singles? Well, it's kind of mute. I'm sorry to ask you that question. 168. Then I typed in family, 11,676. You see, in the church of Jesus Christ, we can do better to encourage and equip our singles to live in a way that is satisfying and pleasing to the Lord. And so this morning, you may not be in that box but almost everything that we've been talking about up to this point has to do with you. <laughs> and now we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the people in that other box, the 45.2% of the general population, the 23% in the church. And the message for the people of the, that aren't in the single box is just as important because we need to come alongside those who are single. We need to be thinking in terms of how can we minister more effectively and more fruitfully and help them in their journey wherever they are in that journey and for those in the single box even if you're not single you were there once and maybe you're there again and so we can come alongside and be an assistance and encouragement to in the body of Christ Paul's words you see singleness is not not second best singleness is not second rate but neither is singleness and this was a danger in the church of Jesus Christ in the first century can be today singleness is not necessarily a mark of superiority either because some people, you know, we, we, I think overall we kind of tend to think of singleness as kind of second rate. But there is a movement or there is a, a push that singleness is superiority. It's, it's the best thing, right? Paul's words to the church at Corinth give help and hope, I think, uh, to singles and encouragement to marrieds. But they counter what was going on at the church at Corinth, which this is press towards this asceticism, which is this self-denial that somehow they thought that was a superior way to live, or else superindulgence, which they thought when that was part and parcel of the Corinthian culture. And so Paul reacts against those things. He reacts against the permissive and the perverted and the pervasive practices of the culture regarding marriage, regarding sexuality, regarding divorce, regarding singleness, regarding celibacy, all those things, Paul is kind of moving and speaking against what the pendulum swings in the culture and the church that was there in Corinth. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is the text we're going to be looking at, so if you have your device, you have your uh, Bible, or you want to reach under the seat in front of you and pick out the Bible, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're looking at verses 25 through 40, Paul celebrates celibacy. 
slash singleness because he's talking to people in the church. And he does so without marginalizing matrimony, without minimizing or demeaning marriage. And so there's three similar instructions for the unmarried in Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40, that make a case for being single and satisfied. And I'm going to read the text, verses 25 through 40, and you can follow along with me now. Uh, if you're reading the ESV, I'm going to read the New American Standard and then maybe make some translations because there's some varied understandings of how some of these words are translated, but I'm going to try to do my best so you aren't confused. First of all, now concerning virgins, which is the New American Standard, which I would understand to be the never married people. I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion. Now, the ESV says, I think, betrothed for that. Uh, but I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of God, Mercy of the Lord is, is trustworthy, um, so he's not a, a fly-by-night person, so his opinion matters. Uh, I think, then, that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin, or ESV says betrothed, I would understand it to be the never married, should marry... She has not sinned, yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away, but I want you to be free from concern, one who is unmarried, is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Now, this is the unmarried, uh, never married single guy, okay? Because we're going to talk about the, the women here in a minute. Verse 33, but one who is married is this man who is married. Is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And now he talks about the women and his interests and his interests are divided. And the woman who is unmarried, this I would understand to be probably the... Uh, um, uh, maybe someone who has been divorced, okay? And the virgin, that was the never married woman. So there's two categories of women. And I say those two categories because at the end of the chapter, he gets to the widows and the widowers, okay? So I'm trying to keep you all, uh, hopefully you don't get too lost here. And then uh, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say, for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is seemly and to secure undevoted, undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly towards his, now this gets really complicated, towards his virgin daughter, so this would be a, a father and his daughter. Now uh, the ESV talks about the, the, the betrothed, and I'm going to kind of lean that way, that this is a, not necessarily a father and his daughter, but it is two people who are engaged. But it doesn't really matter because the point in the text is the same. Okay, So I'm going to read it from the New American Standard, but uh, I'll explain it in a different way. And it must be so. Let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. So if it's the father, he lets his virgin daughter marry. If it's the betrothed, they get married. That's the ESV rendering of it. Verse 37. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no restraint, but has authority over his own will has decided this in his own heart to keep his daughter that's if it's a father keeps his daughter that means uh, she she doesn't get married that's fine and if it is the engaged couple and they don't get married uh, he will do well or they do well verse 38 so then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage and does does well and he who does not give her in marriage will do better so if it's the father if he gives his daughter in marriage he does well if he doesn't give her in marriage that's better if it's the betrothed couple and they get they're engaged and they get married that's good and if they don't get engaged that's he says better i will make a case that it doesn't mean that marriage is less important than being single but he's only trying to give added encouragement to those who would remain single Verse 39, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. 
Uh, a little sarcasm there, I think, from the Apostle Paul. I think that I also have the Spirit of God. I think I can speak from authority on these issues. So here we go. The, the first statement, and I've put it this way in your outline. Hello. I'll take that call. Don't you just love it? So the first way is that I, uh, the married, and I say it in the outline here. In the outline I say, married marriage for the never married. Now I'd like to make a modification there, and I'm including verses 25 through 40. It really is for the unmarried. Marriage for the unmarried because it includes those who've never been married. It includes those who've been married but aren't married now. Okay, so it includes both of those. I, I made a case for that and I'll talk through it. So it's really the marriage for the unmarried, and with an emphasis maybe on those who've never been married, is not always preferable, but it is permissible. Okay, so it's not always the preference, but it is permissible. Okay, three steps in that process to help us understand it. First of all, we're given the guiding principles in verses 25 through 27. We see, first of all, that uh, he says, Now concerning virgins, and I told you that the ESV translates it betrothed. I would take it to mean, in this context, the never married, never before married people. The Lord has given no command that elevates singleness above anything else. Because in the Corinthian culture, they were either going to one or two extremes. Singleness was the only way to be super spiritual, or it really didn't matter. You know, promiscuity was the rule of the day for the people in Corinth. The Lord gave no command elevating singleness. So Paul says, I give you my opinion. Okay, And this is in contrast to chapter 7, verse 1, where he says, now concerning the things which about you know, it is good for man to, to touch a woman. And then he to, goes on to talk about the Lord's command. Okay, So he's not giving what's the Lord's command. But I'm telling you, folks, when Paul speaks, it's in the Bible, it's good, okay? The Bible is not, you know, you know, if we only read the stuff that has red letters in it, and that's the only thing we lived by, then that's not understanding the entire Word of God as God's inspired Word, okay? But it's his opinion. Now, I've had the occasion a couple of times to go over in Grimes. They have this called this MB2 Raceway. It's kind of a go-karts on steroids. So, you know, you've been to the go-kart track where you kind of have to push it to the floor and it goes about 10 miles an hour. Well, this is like you push it to the floor and it goes like 50 miles an hour. And so, but, you know, when you go into the curbs, the curves, uh, braking, they don't say you have to brake to go into the curves. That's optional, you know. I like optional, you know. So you can spin out or you can go crazy going into the curse. Paul says, I don't have the command. It's optional. This is an opinion. It's an opinion whether you use the brakes. And so there, but Jesus does speak about singleness with some authoritative words that are uh, in addition to what Paul has to say because Paul's words aren't less authoritative than Jesus. Paul doesn't elevate singleness. Jesus explains singleness. And the text is Matthew 19. Don't turn there, but I'm just going to kind of... Uh, articulate for you the three forms of singleness that Jesus mentions there. First of all, there are, we're single naturally, Jesus is born that way, or single forcibly, made eunuchs for the kingdom of God is what he says. So in those cases, you have one case where through maybe a congenital defect or just some genetics things, or then the second case through force, through castration really, the, the person is not able to cohabitate, have children. So they're, they're eunuchs. That's the word eunuchs, single, unmarried, never going to be married, not able to procreate. Okay, So that's kind of the, the, the case there. That's what Jesus talks about, first of all. Then uh, verse 2, then the third one is single spiritually. They're single for the sake of the kingdom. They made a choice. They made a choice to be single in order to give their devotion and serve the Lord with all their heart, voluntarily choose singleness slash celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. They're wanting to live for God, and you think Jesus, you think Paul, okay? You think about Anna. Remember when they brought Jesus to the temple? And Anna had been married, what, like seven years? And then she gave her life after her husband died to serve the Lord in the temple. 
And Paul and Jesus both say that this is an exception. And it's a gift that is given that some accept. But it is not necessarily the norm. And those who so gifted are not necessarily more holy or righteous than those who get married. Okay, they have chosen that. It's a gift that God gives them. And then Paul mentions, or I would suggest this, I didn't say it, he doesn't articulate it in these words, but there are those who are single, single situationally, okay, by virtue of their situation, they're single. And those are the people we're talking about here, the unmarried people, okay? Those who are never married and those who've been married but not married now, and the engaged people. And then those who are widows and widowers. So those are people who are single by their virtue of their situation. And the virtue of their situation, if you've never been married before, you're single and you're not married probably because marriage has just not been possible up to this point. Or maybe it hasn't been desirable up to this point. Some people, you know, they don't get married because they say, I'm going to wait until I get through my education or blah, 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 blah. And then they decide that they're going to get married at a certain point. And then for those who are, uh, you know, then we've talked about the, the genders and all that kind of stuff. And some people who struggle with same-sex attraction, they're not married because they understand that they can't get married with that kind of an attraction because it's not biblical to fulfill their desires that way. And so they're single. Okay? And so maybe heterosexual marriages down the road is, is an option for them, but maybe they're going to live their life in singleness. You know, we don't know. But those are the situationally single. And I think that uh, Sitlow in his book, um, he has a, this Ron Sitlow has written a book on uh, sexuality and, and singleness and same-sex attraction. His singleness is not just the absence of something, it's the embrace of a special calling and life. Singleness is a, not substandard, it's not secondary, it is not just the absence of something, it's the acceptance of a place in life that this is where I'm at right now. And listen, folks, here's what I want to say. I want you to hear this. For some people, that is a permanent thing, and for some people, it is a temporary thing, a seasonal thing. So some people are single, and that's the way they're going to stay. And some people are single, and they're not going to stay that way. And I think we need to accept that and understand. I mean, I, I was single until I was about 20, almost 26 years old. And I didn't want to be single. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm like an uh, NFL football player. I heard said this. He said, his English teacher told him when he was 15, he said, what you think about you are. He said, if that was the case, I'd have been a girl. It's a little slow to catch in. If what you think about you are. As a 15-year-old, as a I didn't want to be single. As a 20-year-old, I didn't want to be single. But that's the place God had me. And the, the text of Scripture marches us through, how can we be satisfied in that? How can we be accepting of that? How can we embrace that? And then for some people, they want to be single, and that's good, good too. It's not a bad thing. And so the Bible walks us through this. In Paul's trustworthy and authoritative apostolic opinion, inspired by the Spirit, he thought, in view of the present distress, uh, the pressures of the people that he spoke to, which are maybe a little different, but not totally different than the pressures of the people that we deal with now who are single. The pressure, you have to be single, and that's the only way to be spiritual. Or you have to be promiscuous, and that's the only way to live in the Corinthian culture. Or you are persecuted by unbelievers, and so you don't want to fall into that persecution, and so you do what you have to to avoid it. In that kind of pressure, Paul says, look, it's just really cool for Christians to, to just stay where you're at. Are you married? Don't try to get unmarried. You know? And be somehow more spiritual because you're unmarried. If you're single, well, that's cool. Just don't try to be not single. Don't, don't make that your focus. Don't run where you're not supposed to be. see, Marriage is a lifelong union intended between a man and a woman that's only to be dissolved through the death of the spouse, through the, 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 the 
unfaithfulness of a partner or the unbelieving spouse would leave. And so don't try to change that and don't seek marriage. The problems and the pains and the persecutions uh, of life are only accentuated. And single people, listen to this. They're only accentuated when you have a spouse and a family. Okay? The struggles and challenges. Now, that's not to discourage marriage. It's just a reality check. Okay? This is just a reality. I'm all for marriage. Okay? But I'm also all for supporting singleness and doing a better job of encouraging our single people. You know what Satan's lie is? Wherever you're not is better than where you're at. Wherever you're not is better than where you're at. So, if you're married, oh, it'd be better not to be married. If you're single, it'd be better to be married. That's the lie, that, or one of the lies that I think that, that Satan uh, gives to us. I want you to look at Philippians uh, chapter uh, 4, uh, beginning with verse Paul talks about Philippians. In Philippians 4, verses 12 through 13. Paul says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I know also how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who, who strengthens me. And who is the one who strengthens him? Christ. So you're single and you don't want to be? Only Christ can strengthen you in it. You're married and you don't want to be? Only Christ can strengthen you in it. He can give you this satisfaction. So then we're given this gracious permission in verse 28 uh, to marry. But if you should marry. See, the point is I'm not, I'm not making that my option. But if you do marry, good. That, that's great. If you, that's the single male or female, should marry, you have not sinned. As long as you're marrying a believer. Okay, Marriage is not to be sought. It's not to be fought. Okay? It's like I don't have my goal in life is to be married, and my goal in life is not to stay from keep from being married. Contentment in Christ is the key. For the person who's trusting in Jesus Christ and his Lord and Savior, Paul said it in Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him dwells all the, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you have been made complete in him. And I don't know about you, but as a single person, I struggled to find my completeness in Jesus. But that's really the only place we can find it. Because I'm telling you, now as a married person, I fail my wife and she fails me. Okay? And so all the satisfaction that you somehow euphorically think is going to come to you as a married person, you got to get a reality check. It's, it's not nearly all that you would want it to be, but it can be way better than most of us experience it. Okay? And so we don't demand... Marriage from God. But we depend on Hey, you, if you're single and you want to be married, pray to God. Ask Him for great and mighty things. I'm always all for praying up. You know, I, I married up, so I, I, I prayed big. You know, I prayed big. God does big things, so you just pray big. You know? I mean, why settle for less? God's a good, gracious God. He wants to give you good and great gifts, so go for it. You know? And God gives good gifts to His kids. Pray for it. But here, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, here's the thing. The people who are single and think they're satisfied, they're not satisfied. They're just chasing after dreams. They got the, you know, I've showed you this before. It's destination sickness. Wherever I get, I want to be somewhere else. When I get here, when I do this, oh, I got to do something bigger and better. I got to do this and something bigger and better. I got to have this, got to have something bigger and better. It's never satisfied. You know? And so they keep chasing. The only way to find that satisfaction, that wholeness, is in the person and the work of Jesus. And that's not, that's not, you know anesthesia for the soul it's the truth I am complete in Christ and I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus and I'm telling you unless I'm satisfied in Jesus before I'm married I won't be satisfied in marriage because only in Christ am I complete and in, in marriage, you've got to start giving to another person. You can't just think about yourself. And so if Jesus isn't at the center, whoa, it's big time problems. Because you, got enough, you don't have enough get up and go in you to keep getting up and going with another fallen person who's failing you on a, on a regular basis. And again, I'm not trying to paint marriage as a bad thing. It's a great thing. And Paul says 
You know, we don't demand it. You know, how many of you uh, parents, you know, you, you, and if you haven't gotten there yet, you will. The kids wants a cell phone. See, we didn't talk about this when my kids were born because we didn't have cell phones. But then when we grew up, oh, they get to about 13, 14. Oh, I need a cell phone. And, you know, some of these kids, they got cell phones when they're six or five or four or three or two or one. You know, and I mean, they, they know how to run a phone, and I never did. But I got to have a cell phone. I got to have a cell phone. I got to have a cell phone. I need a cell phone. And Dad says, no, you don't need a cell phone. So the kid's demanding what the father's denying, but what the father's denying is the kid willing to trust the father in love. And you may be here, you may be single, and you want to be married, and you're demanding of God give you marriage. And he's saying, no, not, not yet. Just, just wait, not yet. It's, it's okay. No, i got to have it. What do we have to have more than we have Christ? And if I have to have something else more than I have to have Jesus then I have an idolatry that needs to be eliminated in my life. Now, that doesn't mean that the desire needs to go away. You know? Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's Psalm 37, verse 4. Now, that doesn't mean it's a name it, claim it thing. I think if we desire delight in the Lord, He will place the desires in our heart, and the desire He places in our heart is that desire which He will give. And so Paul says, look, uh, heterosexual marriage is a legitimate option for every never married believer. It's, well, it's an option for every never married unbeliever too. But we're not supposed to obsess uh, on getting married. We're supposed to surrender our singleness as a gift to God. You know, wherever you're at right now is where God wants you to be. And where God wants you to be is not a bad thing. It may be a painful thing. It may be a hard thing. But it's not a bad thing because we have a good father. And he loves you. And he wants you to have good and precious gifts. And then we're given godly reasons for singleness. First of all, to spare us from trouble. At the end of verse 28, he says, Yet such will have trouble in this life. Who are the ones who have trouble? The ones who get married. (laughs) That's what he says. You're going to have trouble. Pressure. You know, what does a marriage do? Unite two sinful people together in a pressure-packed environment. you got two proud and selfish people with their own inadequacies, their own insecurities, and their own dysfunctions, and you come together and try to make that work. It's complicated. Now, generally, uh, one of those people is probably going to be more rational and more logical, and the other one's probably going to be more emotional. Uh, one of those is going to be probably more of an introvert, you know. I don't get juiced up by socializing with people. Let me get by myself. And the other one of you is going to be like, wow, let's just go somewhere. Let's do something. Let's get some people over and have people around us. And we can have a great time, and I'm kind of juiced up by that. Other people are going to be control freaks. And the other ones are like, hey, foot loose and fancy free. What's all this big deal about turning off the lights and picking up your stuff and shutting doors behind you? Who cares? It's going to drive the other person completely bonkers. I want to ask you, if you're married here, who's determined what the thermostat's set at? How does that go down? Because one of you is hot-blooded, one of you is cold-blooded, one of you wants it warmer, one of you wants it colder, and you can, and somebody has to give, where you just got this thermostat gyration. You know? See, that's what it takes. It's, a, it's trouble. I mean, how many of you, like, really care about Christmas decorations? Like, that's a big priority. We've got to have those decorations up. You know, like, I'm all about functionality, not so much about decor. You know, I'm telling you, guys, the food tastes the same regardless of what you eat it off of. Right? I mean, I could eat it off of a card table. I could eat it off of a, you know, we used to have Melmac when I was a kid. You know, this is a plastic plates, paper plates. It doesn't make the food taste better. But oh, no, we got to have three forks and two knives and one of these spoons up above and... Why? I got things I want to do. My wife's got things she wants to do, and never the twain shall meet. But somebody gives because we get the stuff done. 
That doesn't happen. That's trouble. That's pressure. That's hardship. Married life, no, don't get me wrong. I like it. And I'm all for it. I'm an advocate of it. You know, but it has its problems. But you know what? Singleness has its problems too. I've been down that road. And that's hard. The struggles. But generally, you have less hassles. Okay? You're only dealing with one person. So it's, it's less hassle. Then, then there's this, the passing of this world. There's the pressure and the passing of this world. Our time on earth is short. And so this world is passing away. And Christians are called to set our mind on things above. Where Christ is seated. But in Colossians 3, 2. But there's, there, then Paul lists here in, in 1 Corinthians 7. Like five areas where singleness could make life in this passing world a little less troublesome. Because what does he call us to? Look at verse 29. He says, But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. He's not advocating divorce. Okay, he's not saying that. He's just saying you should still give your life to ministry. You shouldn't detract from serving Christ just because you're married. There needs to be a priority on, on serving the Lord. Don't let it hamper. I mean, I know a guy once, he, he, as a single guy, he wanted to be a missionary. Then he got married. And his wife and his in-laws forbade it. It's like, no, you can't go to China. Guess where he's at? Not in China. Not in China. See, so if you're married, he says, he says you got to be as if you aren't. you got to serve the Lord. Second has to do with mourning. He says in verse 30, and those who weep as though they did not weep. Now that doesn't mean we're callous and cold-hearted and we don't give a rip about somebody's sorrow. No, we're supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. But as a believer, we keep it in perspective. We're not totally devastated by sorrow and sadness. And we know what it is to grieve. I mean, you know, we've had funerals and sadness in our congregation here. Karen lost Dwayne, and Lowell lost Dorothy, and other people as sickness and sadness. It's hard. It's not that we don't grieve, but he says you don't get consumed by grief. And folks, if you're single, you got less connections to be grieved by. You know, it's like you don't have a you don't have another whole side of the family that you have to be concerned about. Again, I'm not demeaning any of that. I'm just saying that's the reality of what it is. Then rejoicing, he says in verse 30, verse B, he says. Uh, don't, uh, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. They don't rejoice in the petty stuff, you know. It's like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, I'm glad the Cyclones won. I mean, if you're a Hawkeye fan, you're glad the Hawkeyes won. But that's not the end of the world, you know. That's not the biggest thing in the, in the, in the universe by any means. How about we rejoice in the fact that people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ? I got an email yesterday or the day before from a friend of mine talking about some ministry that I'd been a part of in the past, and some young people are coming to faith in Christ, and it's really exciting. Rejoice. No, don't rejoice as those who don't rejoice. Don't get your focus on the newest, the latest, and the greatest thing. Well, the stock market went up, and my team got a bull bid, and, you know, hey, great, great guns. Now, I'm not saying you can't be happy about that, but that's not the end of life. That's not the most important thing in the world. We should be more concerned about what's going on in the world. This is then material possessions in verse 30 at the end. He says, and those who buy as though they did not possess. I thought, what's that about? Why am I buying it if I'm not going to own it? Well, is the stuff that I have used to serve the Lord, or is it a trophy? Yeah, I kind of look at some of the stuff I got, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure it's really serving the Lord. It's, it's more like just for me. And he says, as if you didn't possess. There's a danger. You know, especially, there's no condemnation of material possessions. I'm not, I'm not spouting that garbage. You know, it's not like you can't own stuff. God owns stuff. Abraham owned a lot of stuff. You know, but he also was very generous and gave a lot of stuff away. But a warning against material preoccupation. And you know what, folks? In your, when you're in marriage, it can, it can be even accentuated because there's two of you that want instead of just one. And two want stuff. It's a danger for Christians. It's more concerned about what we drive. Do I have the right label on my front or on the back? You know, if I have a North Face jacket, they don't put it on the front. Got to have the back. 
Do I have the magnolia stuff in my decor? You know. Oh, bless Joanna's heart. She's feeding our materialism. And we're helping her. You know. Again, if you got stuff, I'm not saying you're sinning. I'm just saying that it shouldn't be the most important thing in your world. Okay? I, I hope you hear the balance here. I, I get a little tippy on one side just to bring us back a little bit to balance here. And then pleasure. In verse 31, he says, the pursuit of pleasure is a danger. That we should, you know, it's just, is it all about the pleasure? The most exotic place I can go, the most thrilling experience. I got to have, you know, I got to go to every diners, drive-ins, and dives place that I'm in, you know, so I can say I had that experience. And again, I've been to some of them, so I'm not saying that it's, it's wrong. Marriage can, but doesn't necessarily tempt us to, to use the world more. He wants us to simplify our life, verses 32 through 34. But I want you to be free from the concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. And I said this before, this is the unmarried man, and then uh, that he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. You know, single Christians are not uh, necessarily intrinsically or automatically more faithful or righteous than, than married people. But they are because they have fewer obligations living a simpler life. Or they can live a simpler life. It's just easier that way. You know, no family obligations and that kind of stuff. I, I think about it. When, when we sent our team to Haiti, you had Ben and, uh, and Ryan, uh, two single guys. Now, it wasn't necessarily easy for them to go, but they didn't have to worry about whether the, you know, whether the wife was taken care of, whether the kids were taken care of, and uh, who's going to do this and who's going to do that. It was a little bit simpler for them to go, okay? I didn't say it's easier. It's just a little simpler for them to go and to, to focus on the Lord. But husbands and wives are concerned about pleasing their spouse. You know, Phil Robertson, happy wife, happy life. You know? Well, there's some truth to that. Unfortunately, there's some truth to that. You've got to provide a home. You know? I don't, you know what shabby chic is? You know, it's just kind of like you've got to learn all these new terms and all this kind of stuff. And it's stuff that you have to take care of. This is, I may have shared this before, but I've got a friend who is a farmer. And he remodeled his house and his wife insisted that they put a bidet, a bidet in the house. I, I didn't even know what this was. We went for a tour, and I'm looking at this house. Why you got two toilets here? You know? So you look it up. B-I-D-E-T. Okay, it's a French word. I mean, I'm thinking, really? Now, in his wildest, I mean, he would not ever consider putting that in. But he's married. You got a concern about your wife. Happy wife, happy life. So, I know another guy. Before he was married, man, he was the total slob. I mean, his car was piled high with Gatorade bottles and pop bottles and junk and trash and sunflower seeds on the floor, filling it up. That was his floor mat, sunflower seeds. And he had trash and all this stuff. And he, now he's married. I'm telling you what, his car is like spotless. He picks up his clothes. He folds laundry. He does stuff he never did before as a single guy. Happy wife, happy life. He's, he's on it. And then he says, uh, by necessity and frivolity, this is my statement, a married man must provide for his, his wife and vice versa. The wife must provide for her husband. She has to be concerned about his needs and his laundry and his cooking and some of these things and other things as well. And maybe the husband does the cooking. I don't you know. I'm not telling you you have to do one thing or the other. But she's concerned about pleasing him and not just pleasing herself. And in verse 34, he says, and his interests are divided between the wife and ministry, and the wife is divided between her husband and ministry. And then the goal of this all is the third thing he says in verse 35. He wants to secure undistracted devotion to Christ. That's it. So whether you're single or married, the goal is undistracted devotion to Jesus Christ. That's how you are single and satisfied. That's how we're married and satisfied. Undistracted devotion to Jesus Christ. Paul promotes singleness for your benefit, not as a restraint. I mean, when our kids were at home, I used to set a curfew for my kids. Why? Because I like to be a mean, obnoxious dad? No. Not as a, as a restraint necessarily to confine them, but for their good. That's what Paul's saying. I'm saying this for your good. Marriage doesn't have 
to distract our devotion to Christ. Marriage doesn't have to distract our devotion to Christ. Singleness doesn't necessarily mean that we're undistracted in our devotion to Christ. Did you hear that? Marriage doesn't have to distract. Singleness doesn't guarantee we're not distracted. But what Paul's saying is, I think that singleness allows for the environment in which you're less distracted. Secondly, marriage for the engaged is permissible, but it's not always preferable. I'm taking this section in verses 36 through 38 as a man and his engaged spouse, wife, okay? So they're never married, but they've been betrothed. It doesn't really matter if you take it as a father and a daughter, okay? So if you, uh, that's what my text says in the New American Standard, and I don't have any problem with saying it that way. The point is this. If the father decides that the daughter should is free to get married, then let her get married. If the husband or the engaged couple decide they want to get married, get married. If they decide not to, don't. Either way, it's good. The engaged are permitted to marry. No, think about that. I mean, if you're single and you don't want to be single and you want to be married, biblically, the only expression of your passions and desires is in marriage. So, Paul says, if that's the case, you're not going to be, you're going to be distracted in your devotion to Christ by other things. So let's remove that distraction. You get married. If you are single and you really feel like God is calling you to a permanent singleness to serve him, then do that. And that's okay. Singleness is preferred. It must be a firmly established conviction. It must be something that you're not under pressure to do. And it must be something that you have complete control of in deciding that you're going to stay single and you want to be single. I mean, last week in the NFL, there was one of these crazy guys, Miles Garrett, decided to go AWOL and strip off the helmet of another player and hit him over the head with it. He was not in control. Paul says, it's something you firmly establish in your mind if you want to remain single. It's something that you are not under coercion because of the pressure of the culture or the pressure of other people, but you know before the Lord this is what you want to do, and then you do it under your own control. Those gifted can remain single, but you know what? And when I say gifted, like if you're single now, that's your gift (laughs) right now, that you're gifted as a single. But that may not be a permanent gift. For some of you, it's a seasonal gift. But if God gives you the opportunity to marry, then marry. If, and, and, and you feel good before God, praise God. And if not, then he has chosen something else for you. In verse 38, I said this, doesn't discount marriage when he says, you know, you do, you do better. He's just saying, okay, you single people, because that's harder. The singleness is, is probably harder. He says, hang in there. It's okay. It's good. It's a good thing. And then the last thing he talks about is widows and widowers. He says, If your spouse dies, you can get married. No problem. But I think you'd be happier if you didn't. So, whatever God leads you to do, that's fine. He's not telling us that we have to do it one way or the other. But if you get remarried, only in the Lord. Only in the Lord as a remarried person can you have undistracted devotion. Only as an unmarried person with undistracted devotion can you please God. It's your choice, whatever you want to do. You're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may think, this stuff is crazy. I mean, why would a single person stay celibate? I mean, that's kind of restrictive. Why would a person who's married and wanted to get out of it not just bail? That's crazy. Well, the reason is because God has called those people who are his children to the best. If somebody sold you on a low-carb diet and you said that's the best way to, uh, to, to lose weight, you'd probably go for it. But these people are surrendering and serving people who follow these patterns are following the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and brought their, brought their souls through his death. And so for them, the devotion to Christ is the, the primary thing. Believers, Paul articulates the benefits of single celibacy. And he celebrates marital matrimony, marital intimacy. Whichever best ensures undistracted devotion to Jesus Christ. So it's possible to be single and satisfied as long as we're willing to accept that this is where God has me and this is what he wants for me and I can be used of God greatly in this capacity until he changes the, the game plan. 
And if you want the game plan to change, then pray like crazy and seek God first. And God is faithful. But he hasn't abandoned you in the midst of it. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your struggle, God is still with you. We sang that song, right? Would you believe it? In Christ, you are complete. You're not lacking anything that you need. You may lack some stuff you want and desperately desire. I get that. I've been there. But what you have is what God has given. And the sacrifice of Christ makes him worthy of our surrender to wherever he has us until he changes it. And he becomes the wellspring of our satisfaction in single celibacy or in marital intimacy. His body broken and his blood shed symbolized through the body of the, the bread and the cup are what provided us the possibility of being satisfied wherever we're at, only in Christ. He provides forgiveness to all who believe. And if you're here this morning and you don't have that forgiveness, you can't even imagine what it would be like to be satisfied whatever your situation, whether you're married or single. But it's possible through the blood of Christ. I invite you to join us in, in taking these elements if you're here and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as an encouragement and a reminder of what he's done for us. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this hard topic. And Lord, I just pray right now for my brothers and sisters who are single. And some, they're, they're fine. You know, they're, they're, they have rest in their soul. That's where they're at, and they're, they're good with that, and, and, and they are resting in you. I pray that you'd give them the, the grace to keep there until you change it. For some... They're just an angst in their soul. Lord, they don't want to be single. Some are struggling maybe with uh, same-sex attractions, but they know they can't go that way, and they, they want to see that change. I pray you'd work in their hearts to comfort and encourage them and bring about your changes and give them joy in their journey. I pray for others who, who want to be married and, and, and just long for that and want it. But, Lord, help them to see in their own hearts, Lord, that they need to put you first. And as they put you first, are there things in their lives that are keeping them Maybe they're fishing in the wrong pond, Lord. I pray that you just give them grace to trust you, encourage to keep walking, and not, not to wait till there's somewhere else to be used of you for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>